0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Mark 4. So we're going to look at the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. Your Bible may say either one of those today. We were actually going to skip it. Um, we looked at it back in January and I know you all remember that message is engraved on your heart. It was riveting. I actually forgot that we did it as well, but I was going to skip it <laughs> because we did do it in January and some of you take notes and I thought, oh, you may still have the notes and I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll say the same thing. So, um, but I, did, I read a little bit and two people said this, the most important parable, and that kind of caught my attention and I went back and read it again and was like, mm, Jesus actually says that. He says, if you don't understand this one, you won't understand any of them. So I thought it might be worth it for us to revisit if it is indeed that important. So chapter four, starting in verse one, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in the boat out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge Jesus taught them many things by parables. In his teaching, he said, "'Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, So they did not bear grain.' So other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus told them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken. From them, There's a lot there, uh, just beginning kind of the, the setting. So Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. It's a place that we've seen him operating from before. There's a picture behind me. There's a place called the Bay of Parables. I assume it was named that by the tour companies to get everybody over there. It's the... the some, some researchers have done some work on it and they say the, the natural topography and acoustics of the area, if you're, if you're in a boat in that bay, you could, you could speak to several thousand without needing a microphone or uh, a speaker system. So let's say that's, we don't know, but let's say Jesus was there someplace like that. He's teaching a large crowd and he's using parables. So a parable is a comparison between two things that teaches a spiritual truth in a concrete way, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there's a surprise uh, or a twist, something to kind of grab your attention. So a parable is a comparison between two things that's intended to teach a, a spiritual truth in a concrete way, um, often with, uh, with a surprise or a twist. So just if you're thinking, what, what do you mean truth in a concrete way? So Paul doesn't talk about the kingdom of God a ton, but in one of the places where he does, he says, the kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's abstract. So you would have to define righteousness, define joy, define peace, understand those in order to understand what Paul is talking about with the kingdom. It's still true. It's just a bit more abstract. Something you're gonna learn in a classroom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, hmm, much more concrete. We know what those are. The kingdom of God is like a net. The kingdom of God is like a guy who finds a pearl in a field. All of those things, are, they're, they're much more concrete. They're much more tangible. They're easier to kind of get our minds and our hearts around. But as Nancy mentioned last week, every, it, it seems like certainly parables were Jesus' primary means of teaching. And Mark says he didn't talk to the crowds at all. Unless he was using parables. And that's not because people are dumb. That's not why he's doing it. It's not like parables are for dummies and this other stuff is for the people who are really smart. And we'll talk a little bit about why Jesus would choose to speak in parables, but it has to do with, with he, he's trying to give people as much truth as they can hold on to. He actually says that in verse 33. He didn't say a word to people without speaking in parables, and he was telling them as much as they could understand. Parables pack a lot in a little bitty package. There, it's, it's kind of a, it's truth that can kind of keep on giving. And so Jesus is he's giving people what they can understand with the idea that if they can hold on, parables are sticky, we remember them. You'll remember mustard seed easier than you're gonna remember righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. It can be something that over time as we grow, there's more truth revealed to us. So anyway, so that's the setting. This parable in particular, many of you have heard before. It's a picture of a farmer sowing his field. And so the way they would do that, there's a picture behind me, it's called broadcast spreading. So you would have either the seed like in a fold in your robe, or maybe you'd have a bag and you just, you're doing this, scattering the seed as you're walking along. And so naturally it's going to fall on different kinds of ground. Some of it's falling on the path where you're walking, which is really hard. And so the seed doesn't doesn't penetrate the ground and birds come and eat it up and some fall on soil that maybe looks pretty good but it's actually shallow. There's rocks underneath it and some falls on other patches of ground that also look pretty good but it turns out there's thorns there and when the soil grows or excuse me when the seed grows the thorns choke out uh, those plants and then some falls on really good soil. And the surprise there is that it produces 30, 60 or 100 times what was sown. That's that's way more. A a farmer would do a backflip if his crop produced eight or ten times what he was sown. Nobody's thinking 30, 60, or 100. So that's going to grab everybody's attention. These guys are farmers. This is what they do for a living. And they're hearing, what? 30, 60, 100 times what was sown? That doesn't happen. There is no ground that good. And there is no seed that powerful, that good, that it produces that kind of a harvest. What exactly is going on here? And then Jesus changes the setting. And that's important. The next scene in verse 10, he's inside with just his people. He's inside with the 12, the apostles, and then those around him. So we would call that that bigger group of disciples. Remember we said disciples, those are everybody who's following Jesus, those who are committed to him, devoted to him, saying, I wanna learn from you and I wanna live life like you do. You're my rabbi, my teacher, my master, and I wanna apprentice myself to you. He's got those guys with him And he and they ask him questions about the parables. We don't know exactly what questions they ask, but based on Jesus' answers, they asked at least two. One is, why are you talking in parables? And the other is, What does this parable mean? Why are you talking in parables? And what does this parable mean? We'll look at those one at a time. Why are you talking in parables? And Jesus says there's two groups of people. There's y'all, my disciples. Y'all are on the inside. And the secrets of the kingdom of God have been revealed to you. Secrets in the New Testament are hidden or or truths that have been hidden in the past that are now revealed by God. So when we think of secrets, we think of things that we kind of uncover and figure out on our own. That's not the way secret is used in the New Testament or the word mystery. It's actually the same word. Those are truths that have been hidden that God is now making known that he's now revealing. And Jesus is saying, y'all are, y'all, my disciples, you guys, the secrets of the kingdom, the truths that people have not known about the rule and reign of God, they're now being revealed to y'all through through me. I'm I'm teaching you these things. I'm I'm pulling the curtain back so that you can see what God is doing through me and what he's wanting to do in and through you. But then there's also another group. There's people on the outside, and to them, I teach in parables. To y'all, I, I'm revealing these secrets. To them, I'm speaking in parables. And the two most difficult words in the whole book of Mark come next. So that. Those are the hardest words. So that people will be seeing without perceiving, hearing without understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be saved and, or turn and be forgiven. And we, we read that we're like, that doesn't make any sense. The whole reason he came, he said, was to seek and to save the lost. And now it sounds like he's saying, well, I teach him parables so that all these guys on the inside won't be saved. So they won't understand. So they won't perceive. So they won't repent. So they won't be forgiven. It seems like Jesus is working at cross purposes with himself. If his, if his whole message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and now he's saying, well, the reason I teach in parables is so that people won't repent, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. And the people who are with them, they want to know, why are you talking this way? It's something that we've said before. Like, Why is he choosing to uh, kind of slow play this reveal of who he is? Why is he choosing to, to, to drop hints instead of just coming out and saying, I'm the Messiah, you should follow me? Why is he choosing to teach in parables which are cryptic instead of just speaking plainly. And again, this whole idea of the so that for us, that's a hard one because it makes it sound like Jesus is saying, well, the reason I'm teaching in parables is because I don't want any of those guys to repent. So is that true? You know, that's not true. You know, that's not what's actually going on. Again, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There is a difference between insiders and outsiders. It's not a double yellow line. It's a dashed line. And the difference, it's it's all about the heart of the person who's listening. Remember, we've talked about the sandwich technique before. Mark uses it all the time where he takes a story, he breaks it apart, and he sticks another story in between. And the idea is just like when you're biting into a sandwich, you got to get it all at once. And what's inside, it, it helps you understand what's outside, and what's outside helps you understand what's inside. And that's what we see here. Mark takes the parable of the sower and he breaks it apart. Here's the parable and here's the interpretation. And he sticks in there this very difficult so that verse, this explanation of why Jesus speaks in parables. And we've got to understand all of that together. 11 times in these 25 verses, the word hear occurs, H-E-A-R. 11 times. One time, it, one time it's translated listen, but it's the same word. That's the theme. The theme of Mark 4, 1 through 25 is listen. Well, And we know, New Testament, following Jesus, listening, it's not about this. It's not about our ear. It's about our heart. People who are deaf can listen well to Jesus. And people who have great hearing sometimes don't listen well at all. It's, it, it's, it's a posture of our heart. It's not just taking in information through our the organ of our ears. It's about recognizing this is truth and then incorporating that into my life, assimilating that truth into my life, living based on that truth. That's what it means to hear well. That's what it means. That, that those last few verses that seem like tack-ons, verses 21 through 25, uh, 20, 23 through 25, where he says, if you have ears to hear, hear how you hear matters What you do with what is taught to you, that actually matters. If you take the truth that's being taught and you incorporate it into your life, then you will get more truth. If you don't, even the truth you have, it's gonna be taken away. Truth is not just intellectual knowledge. This isn't math. Truth is meant to be lived out. This is revelation from the God of heaven who's saying, here's who I am and here's how I want you to live. And if we are resistant to that, it gets taken away. Truth in the Bible is relational. There's absolutely an intellectual component, but at the, at the heart, it's relational. It has to do with how we are following Jesus. And if we're not, then whatever level of truth that we did have, it's, it's taken from us. So does Jesus, is he deliberately keeping truth from people. No, parables have several purposes. One is to reveal truth to those who are on the inside and to conceal truth from those who are on the outside. But again, that's a dotted line. Outsiders can become insiders. And it's not based on what they know. It's based on repentance. It's great news for us. You don't move from outside to inside because you pass a test. You move from outside to inside because you realize you failed the test. It's repentance. It's acknowledging your need. I don't know anything. Parables, that in, in a sense, we can say parables reveal the condition of our own hearts. That's why Jesus taught that way. Again, he, he's trying to get people's attention. He's trying to get them to wake up. People who think, I know it all. I got this down. He's trying to say, you don't. You don't. And I'm not expecting you to know it all. What I'm asking is that you acknowledge that you don't. You throw your hand up and say, "I I got a question. I need some help. This doesn't make sense." If you're the Messiah, that's not who. That's not the picture for me. That whole idea about the lamp—that's so weird. Who takes a lamp and puts it under? What does that have to do with anything? Jesus is the lamp. He's the light of the world, and what he's saying to his disciples: Listen, I know this is confusing right now. I know it is. Right now, I'm under the bed. I'm under the basket. It's not going to be that way forever. I came in order to be put on a stand. Everything that's hidden right now, it's going to be disclosed. It's called the messianic secret. You see it particularly in Mark. Again, it's Jesus slow playing, his, revealing his own identity. There are times where he does a miracle for someone. He says, Shh, don't, don't tell anybody. And we're going, what? why? Demons say, you're the son of God. And he says, Be quiet. He talks in parables instead of plainly. All of that is part of hiding his identity, hiding in quotes. There's enough there that we can respond, but not so much that it's perfectly clear and obvious. Jesus can only be understood through the lens of the crucifixion. These guys, they don't have it yet. We know the rest of the story. So when we read Mark 4, we already know Jesus dies and rises again. When they're living Mark 4, they don't know that. When Jesus heals them in real time, they don't know that. They don't know he's going to die in a couple of years. And so he's saying, listen, don't start telling everybody what's going on because they're going to get the wrong impression. Everybody has an idea of who the Messiah is, and they're all wrong. So don't, just don't say anything yet. I've got to die first. And once I do, once I do, then, then all of this will begin to make sense. We can't understand him apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection. Parables are similar. They're packaging truth. And some people, they're not ready. You haven't been ready. I haven't been ready at different times. There are things I'm still not ready for. Jesus is telling us as much as we can understand with the idea of saying, just come on. You don't have to know it all. Just acknowledge that you don't. And I'll tell you a little bit more. The things that I'm telling you, you just start acting on those things and I'll give you a little bit more. It's not all at once. It's never perfectly clear. Remember, he's looking for faith. He wants us to trust him. He's certainly not deliberately withholding truth from anyone. Remember the sandwich. We understand that explanation in light of the parable. And the parable is all about the condition of our heart. It's comparing three different things. I think for Jesus, that first audience, he's saying, here's why everybody's not saying yes. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm spreading this message and some people are responding to it and some people aren't. And, and the issue is not the message. The seed is the same, isn't it? The issue is the soil. And then he's saying to Mark's group, who's, who's hearing this in 60 something AD, 30 years after Jesus is dying and after Jesus has died and and rose again. And he's saying to them, Hey, this is y'all. Y'all are the ones. Y'all are. Sowing seeds, y'all are spreading the message about Jesus and everybody's not jumping on the bandwagon. And this is why. The issue's not with the message. It's the condition of people's hearts. We tend to blame Jesus for our, it's us, it's not him. The message is fine. And then I think maybe the, the most significant thing and for us, it's the takeaway. It's a comparison between how the conditions of soil affect fruitfulness and how the conditions of our heart affect fruitfulness. That's the ultimate comparison. There's a sense in which it's encouragement for us to say, listen, you can't tell when you're looking who's going to be receptive and who's not. And that's not on you anyway. You just scatter the seed. You just tell the truth. Scatter the truth. Love people well. You just do that and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But then I think the conviction point for us is, what's the condition of my own heart? I don't think any of these soil conditions, they're not total. So this farmer, let's say this room is his plot of land. It's got all four types of soil in it. It's all one field, but there's four different types of, of dirt there. And you know that in your own backyard. No matter how big or small your own backyard is, it's all not great. There's parts that are good and there's parts that are not so good. You gotta do some work on them. And none of the, and I would also say that that none of these conditions are permanent. So we're we're all a mixed bag and all of that can change. I think about just with the 12, just with the 12 apostles, Jesus, core of the core, the ones that he chose, he sends them out. We'll see it in a couple of weeks in, in Mark 6. He sends them out to preach and to heal people and to drive out demons and they're successful. There's fruit. So we would look at that and say, that's good soil. They produced fruit, just like Jesus said they would. But then if you keep turning the pages, one of those 12 betrays Jesus, then hangs himself. One of those 12 denies knowing Jesus. 10 of those 12 run away when things get difficult. That doesn't sound like good soil to me. Twice in Mark, Jesus says about the disciples, y'all are hard hearted. They're a mixed bag and things change. 10 of those 12 wind up dying for Jesus later in their life. We're, 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 again, the, this idea, I don't want you thinking of yourself strictly in, in one of these four categories. What I want you to hear and what I want me to hear is I'm all four of those things. Always. And things can change. That's what's great news for us. Outsiders can become insiders. We, we, we hear those, the, the interpretation. There's soil that's hard. There are hearts that are hard that are resistant to the gospel. That's been every one of us at some point. We've said no. We've resisted the voice of God. God has said, hey, I, 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 I want to see you walking in this way. And we I don't want to do that. It's hard. It's not fun. It's not what I want to do. We've resisted. That soil that's shallow... There's an initial yes to, to the message of God, to the gospel, to the truth. But there's, not enough, there's no roots, they're not deep. And, and Jesus says, when trouble, that's squeezing or persecution, that's oppression and harassment come because of the word, that, that plant withers and dies. And we won't say, well, were there, other, were there ever Christians in the first place? It doesn't matter. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. They didn't. So it doesn't matter whether they were or they weren't. What matters is in the end, Their relationship with Jesus wasn't strong enough to see them through difficult times. When to follow him cost them something, they bailed. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be them. But we've all been that at times. Every one of us at times have pulled back. Have camouflaged our faith because we thought it might cost us something. The other ground, it's it's thorny. There are these weeds, and it it looks okay. And we receive the gospel, and it starts to grow. But then there are these weeds, and they choke out the the kingdom. And it doesn't. The gospel doesn't produce fruit. The message, the truth, it doesn't produce fruit in our lives. And then Jesus says, "Here are the thorns." Man, this is where we live. One hundred percent. You know this. The worries of this life. Those are the things that preoccupy your heart. That's what a worry is. The things that dominate your heart—not necessarily sinful things—these are the things you're thinking about before you fall asleep, and these are the things you're thinking about when you wake up. And most likely, they're good things. They probably have names, and you pack them lunches and send them to school. (laughs) It's that, or it's that—it's that office that you go to, or that business that, particularly for those of you who own your own business, it's it's those—they're good. Those things are gifts, but they can choke out what God wants to do in our life. They, those things dominate our hearts. The deceitfulness of wealth. This is the, the, fundamentally, this is what money says. If you will serve me, I will take care of you. That's what money says. It's an idol. It's a false god. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God in money. And in your Bible, money is capitalized. He's not talking about a dollar bill. He's talking about the spiritual power that stands behind money. I know that sounds super weird, but it's true. And you know it because you know the pull money has on you. And it's beyond paper. You know that. You feel that. And what money says is, if you will serve me, I will take care of you. And none of of us are bowing down to money. But man, we serve it, don't we? Think of all of the things we sacrifice to get more of it. all of the corners we cut. Think how hard it is for us to let go of any of it. It's got to, We serve it because we are deceived. We think, man, if I have enough, it's gonna take care of me. Desires for other things, that's just what you think. It's covetousness, it's wanting stuff that you don't have. But it's also, I think it's, it's a bit more... Um, ephemeral than that. It's not the greatest word. It's, it's not as tangible. It's, there's this idea, Psalm 16 says, the boundary lines have fallen us for us in pleasant places. It's not Psalm 16, but it, there, it's a Psalm. Somebody, somebody's gonna quote, <laughs> yell it out once you know it. It is 16? All right. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. And the moral of that story is I was right. No, that's not the moral That's So here's the thing. It says the boundary lines have fallen, us in, has, have fallen for us in pleasant places, but a lot of us say, no, they haven't. Chad's boundary lines look a lot better than mine. I want his. I want Drew's. I want Michael's. I don't like my boundary lines. It's not necessarily that I'm wanting stuff. I'm wanting a life other than what my life is. I'm single and I want to be married. I'm married and I want to be married to somebody else. I got two kids and I want one kid or I want three kids or I want different kids, whatever it is. (laughs) All of those things, I'm wanting something other than what, it's not good. I want to be smarter than I am or taller than I am or more athletic than I am. I want a different house or a different job. There's this angstiness in us. How many of us can say the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places and mean it? Most of us go, no, they haven't. It's in what I signed up for. That's desire for other things that chokes out the message of Jesus within us. And again, the great news our hearts can change. If your heart is resistant to the truth this morning, and I'm, I, that can be globally, I'm pushing Jesus away. I'm going to do this on my own. Even as followers of Jesus, again, the the disciples or the apostles, the 12 closest to him, twice he says, your hearts are hard. That can be us. Even as people who are following Jesus, we can resist the ongoing word of God to us. If your heart is hard, ask him to soften it, and he will. Just acknowledge that's what repentance is, God. My heart is, is, I, I don't want to do it. I'm resistant to you in this area. Would you make my heart softer? You're still at some point going to have to make a choice to obey. But he can soften your heart in that area. If you're finding yourself doing this. So here's the danger. The, the grave danger in resisting. It's at some point that's not I'm, not, I'm not resisting in this one area. I start resisting it all. It's my, my heart, I, I can't compartmentalize. We think we can, but we can't. It's a hole, and that crustiness, just it spreads. And pretty soon you find yourself, if you're consistently resisting and consistently rejecting, you're on the wrong side of that line. Then you're an outsider. The truth doesn't make any sense to you anymore. And even what truth you had, is, it, it's gone. If you feel like you're, if you were honest, and you say, I don't know. If difficulty came because of my relationship with Jesus, I may be out. I don't know that I would stand firm until the end. Let's pray for deeper roots. Two things that you can pray. All this is on the screen behind me. Uh, Ephesians 3 is a great prayer. It's saying, God, would you help me to know how much you love me? And then there's this great line Paul closes Ephesians with. He says, grace to all who love Jesus with an undying love. That's something I've been praying for the last six or eight months. God, I want to love you with an undying love. That's someone who stands firm to the end. So couple those prayers. God, I want to know how much you love me. And then I want to love you with a love that doesn't fail. Those are deep roots. doesn't mean that the difficulties aren't, are, are somehow less painful. It just means you've got a relationship that's strong enough to see you through. If your heart is crowded, if they are thorns, and this is all of us, for goodness sakes, it's where we live, identify the weeds and pull them out. And the way you do that is you submit them to Jesus. Jesus, this thing, this person, this circumstance, it dominates my heart. I think about it all the time. I can't get it off my mind. Help me. I don't know what to do with it. I don't think the right for most of those things. I don't think the right answer is necessarily walking away. But I gotta, you gotta help me. I want to be able to say the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I don't want to covet what my neighbor has. I don't want to believe the lie that money says if I serve it, it'll take care of me. Whatever those things are, show me the weeds. Show me the weeds. That's a prayer that requires a lot of trust, because we're afraid. If, if I show him the weeds, is he going to remove those things from my life? We have to trust him all the way back to John 15. He's a good gardener. He knows what he's doing. So let's ask him. Let's pray for a second. That thing's gonna, that slide, if you'd leave that on the screen, just as we're praying, just people can kind of keep that in their head. Here's what I want you to do, if you would. So this is a prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know me. Just pray that one line. God, search me and know me this morning. So remember, Jesus says he taught them as much as they could understand. He's not going to overwhelm you. He's not going to show you all there is. He's not. He's going to put his finger probably just on one thing and say, let's deal with that right now. There's truth in this parable for all of us. The reason it's the most important parable is because if we don't understand it, we don't understand any other because the key to understanding is the condition of our heart. The issue is never with the truth. The seed, there's nothing wrong with the seed. If it's not bearing fruit, the issue is our own hearts. And if we're not addressing our own hearts, we're not going to understand anything Jesus ever tells us. So God, would you search me, just pray that, and know me this morning. And let's just walk through that, those first three. God, would you show me, is there a place in my heart where I'm being resistant to you? Where my heart is hard? And see if anything comes to your mind. And if it does... If you're willing, you can repent. God, I repent. I acknowledge. I'm, I, I'm resisting. I'm rejecting. I'm ignoring you in that area. Would you forgive me? Would you give me grace to walk in obedience? If you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to say, God, would you soften my heart so that I, you can move me towards repentance? In my most honest moment, I don't want to change right now. But I'm willing to want to change. So would you soften my heart? I was actually wondering during worship if for anybody, if that resistance actually has to do with their mom. I was thinking about that on Mother's Day. If there's, a, there's something there with your own mother. You're holding a grudge. She disappointed you. Maybe, like, you're, I'm not talking about whether you're Pain or perspective is legitimate we're still called to forgive there may be some resistance there today would be a great day even if your mom's dead to forgive next God would you show me the places in my heart that are shallow where if I were to be squeezed in this area because of you I, I wouldn't I wouldn't stand firm. I'd be okay if it was, you know, physical, but not if it was relational. I'd be okay if it was relational, but not if it was financial, whatever. It would show me that the area where my roots are not deep. See what he brings to mind. If you're willing, pray something like this. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen me on the inside to know how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Jesus for me? Would you strengthen me to know this love that surpasses knowledge? That's Ephesians 3. And would you give me grace to love you with an undying love? Last. God, would you search me and know me? Would you show me the weeds in my own heart that are choking out your message, your truth, your good news? See what he brings to mind. Is it a worry of this life? Is it the deceitfulness of wealth? Is it desires for other things? If I had to put a place a bet, I would say, for a lot of us. It's the boundary line thing. We spend a lot of life daydreaming about about a different life. You say, God, would you, I acknowledge I'm doing that. Would you pull that weed out? I submit that to you. I don't know what to do. I submit that to you. I pray that you would rightly order the loves in my life. God, if there's something that that truly is noxious and it's gotta go, absolutely. But I'm assuming most of these things are good. God, would you show us how to steward them? Again, how to rightly order them in our life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, in these moments, search us and know us. I pray that we would all be encouraged by the fact That you're constantly, constantly looking to cultivate that good soil within us. And I pray that we would yield to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.